Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land of the House of Sin and where the studios stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the land our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Hello and welcome to Cricket by Dummies, the only show on the radio that's had a less successful campaign than England's Ashes <laughs> campaign. But I'm uh, off to a strong start. <laughs> yep, there's the realism in our show right there. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to hide the truth from you. <laughs> no, we don't call it self-deprecation. That's just... <laughs> self-deprecation by Dummies, that'd be a good show. I'd be down for that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be down for that. That just sounds terrible. Well, you, I think on a self-deprecation by Dummies show, you can't actually be confident in it. Otherwise, it defeats the purpose. Yeah. You have to actually go into the first episode and go, Haha, we kind of got a show here. You guys might like it. We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm pretty sure we're a cricket show last I checked. I'm not sure. Did we, did we check? Can we... Confirmation... Yes, yes, we are yes. a cricket show. <laughs> Our uh, huge studio audience of 300 people uh, all put up their hands. So that <laughs> must mean that we're definitely a cricket show. Been an interesting week in cricket. Lots of cricket happens as per usual. We got the same, well, yeah, I'm going to be realistic. We got the same, same <laughs> this week as we do most weeks. We got the news for you, uh, uh, Big Bash League galore, as we put it. And then we've got the Ashes recap from the fifth test. Final we... test. The Ashes is over. Australia won 4-0. Um, and, you know, we're done. We're done. We're done. Done with Ashes. We're done with cricket for a little while. And by that, I mean we're doing another show next week. <laughs> <laughs> we've still got to watch the Big Bash and the ODIs. Yes. When does the first ODI start? Is it 14th? 14th, which is the end of this week. Yes. So that would be Get Saturday. excited for that. I'm yeah. keen. It's going to be good fun. And then we've also got an interesting creative thing at the end it's really not that creative it's just the most average big bash league side you've seen alex and i rank all the big bash league players and made the most average team yeah because i felt like it would have been way too easy to just do the best 11 or and it's still too easy to do the worst 11 i would have so, felt guilty doing the worst 11 as well uh, i still think that would have been pretty entertaining because like just just imagine like a side that includes simon malenko you're like <laughs> that's not an impressive side um True. but no i really love this average side because a lot of the the cricket nerds out there will go oh yeah you know, that's a pretty average team. And a lot of people that like kind of know cricket will be like, oh yeah, I've heard of him, but I don't know him that well. Yep. And that's and that's very much what this side's going to be. It's going to be like, oh yeah, they're okay. And yet we begin the show this week with some news out of the ashes lately. Um, and that was the interview between um, Michael Vaughan, Jeff Boycott and James Anderson yesterday that could be described as, I think putting it lightly, a train wreck. Um, we've had the best interview ever, possibly, with Cameron Bancroft earlier in the Ashes, and this is up there with the worst ones. Yeah, this kind of, like, summed up their Ashes, really. You have the best... So, you said Bancroft. He had a great one, and yep. Australia did well, and then England end on this, and it was just really poor. It was really poor, like, television as well, aside from what all the ridiculous questions Jeff Boycott was asking of Anderson. It was just, like, really poor television. Like, we don't do good radio, but we don't do that badly. Yeah, yeah if there's anyone that can judge people on high-quality media, <laughs> it's us. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the questions were just so way above James Anderson's pay grade. And it's like it's not that James Anderson isn't a smart guy. Clearly, somebody that takes 500 test wickets has got to have some level of intelligence. Vice-captain as well of the Yes, yeah, so, so clearly he's got a tactical understanding, but... I mean, to ask him about 
the kind of planning that is done by the complete higher levels of management in cricket. Like, it's just so unfair on him. And you're seeing James Anderson just stand there, utterly bemused by this all, going, well, what do you expect me to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was the best bowler for us the entire series. He was England's leading wicket-taker comfortably. One of the few players that actually went out there and executed the plans that England came up with. And you're you're basically just... Blaming him, in a yeah. way, or, or, or just pushing all the blame onto him, at least. Well, it wasn't the blame. It was pushing all responsibility yeah. onto him. Onto someone who's not not going to be here in four years. Like, he'll be 39 at the time. He won't be part of the team, more than likely. And that was one of Boycott's other questions. was, And one of the main themes was, you know, what is what are we going to do about the next Ashes, the next time we come to Australia? Like, we've clearly planned so well. And James Anderson's just looking at him going... Dude, I'm gonna be 39. I'm gonna be retired. I'm gonna be. I'm, I'm gonna be on some beach in Florida, man. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not gonna be bowling in 45 degree Australian heat. I don't think most 39 year olds can handle that, you know, unless they're Brad Hogg. Yeah. But um, he's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, he's he's a legend. We love Brad Hogg here on uh, Cricket by Dummies. But no, it's. I get that Jeff Boycott's like upset with the performance that England put up, especially after last time wasn't so great either. But like. Can't, can't take it out on one of the best English players of all time, really. Yeah, it would have been much more interesting if he'd had that conversation with Jake Ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it would have been that have been, been a bit, bit, bit better. Um, let's talk news now. So that means it is time for the news. And what happened in this week? Well, New Zealand played the West Indies in the third T20 and woohoo! Wasn't really much. I'm so better. glad the series is over. Yeah. yeah. So yep, New we're Zealand, just done with this. <laughs> New Zealand came out and made five for 243. Ouch, that's a in a, in a total. Like, this is a T20. Yeah. Like, this isn't a 50-over game. Five for 243. Uh, so Colin Munro came out and made 104. I, he's actually the first person to make three international T20 centuries. And I believe he's the, yeah, the only one. Yeah, he's... So above... That's, that's what the first yeah, sh- means. I, I just realised that just after I said that. <laughs> um, which makes him, you know, a better T20 player than... Chris Gale, Brennan McCullum, some of the best players we've seen in T20 history. He's now technically better than them in at least one regard. Uh, my favourite part of this game, though, was um, you may have heard of West Indian off-spinner Ashley Nurse. Pretty pretty average player. Would definitely make our average BBL 11. Um, he actually finished with the best figures of any of the West Indian quicks, uh, any of the West Indian bowls at all, actually, when he got none for 43 or four overs. So the best bowler in the side had an economy of 11. Just oh. saying. That's how you know you haven't had a good day. <laughs> yeah. That's not good, is it? No. no. Uh, Tim Southey continued his excellent run of form, took three far as they rolled West Indies for a paltry 124. And New Zealand's actually kept going with their cricket over the last few days. They finished up the T20 series with uh, the West Indies and gone straight on to an ODI series with Pakistan that they've got off to a pretty okay start on, taking the first two games. And I believe the series, because it's only a three-game series, in game one, Kane Williamson's 115 led New Zealand to seven for 315. Uh, He looked really good. Basically, Pakistan in a rain-reduced match never really got started. Didn't look like they were getting anywhere. And the second game was actually quite interesting. What did you take from away from that, Chuck? So, well, Pakistan came out and made nine for two forty-six. It's like not a great total. And then I believe it was rain interrupted for the second half of yeah, this as so well. Yeah. So New Zealand had twenty-five overs to chase one fifty. They got there with about an over left. I don't understand how the Duckworth-Lewis works, just on a side note. Neither do I. (laughs) How are you chasing 151 from 25 overs if you were chasing 247 from 50? I have no idea. Alex, why don't you have all the answers (laughs) for all of us? No, New Zealand uh, comfortably did that for only the loss of two wickets. Guptill made 86 not out. Taylor made 45 not out. New Zealand 
take the series, we believe. Yeah, and cruising as it stands. They were in really good form lately. Um, however, the big thing in international news this week has been this massive game between South Africa and India. The South Africans touring India ahead of a massive series between South Africa and Australia coming up soon. Last week, we talked about the very one-sided South Africa Zimbabwe test. You know, Zimbabwe... <laughs> The, the world juggernauts in Zimbabwe, the lowly, uh, South Africa, yeah, the lowly Yeah, they dominated Minos. South yeah. Africa, didn't they? It yeah. was an absolute one-sided <laughs> affair. It was over by day two lunch. Um, and so I was really looking forward to this game. This is two of the titans in the world. England, uh, England. India are the world number one uh, test side. So it was really curious to see how they do. And the South African quicks kind of went out there and taught them a bit of a lesson. Yeah, they kind of showed them up. Philander had an amazing match. Six wickets in the second innings as well, which was huge. But no, so South Africa came, came out and made 286 and you thought that was an okay total, but like probably a little below what they wanted. Um, I believe at some point they were three for 12 early in their innings and then A.B. de Villiers came out and made 60 off uh, 70 deliveries and just like... Typical A.B. And the Indians were just like, well, we just didn't know what to do. Like <laughs> When you're three for 12, normally, you know, you'll bat time. Yeah. But then A.B. Play just Play on the defence, but no. It's AB not A.B. style. No, not at all. And then um, they had India in a bit of trouble early after the first day. Um, India ended up making 209, so it was first innings lead of 77. Um and then South Africa made 130, and you just thought, ooh, ooh is, this, <laughs> is this on? India came out and did really, really well with the ball. Shami took three for 28, Barmer three for 39, and you're just like, surely not. Sh- surely not. India can't play anywhere in but innings. India, surely. Yeah. Surely they can't take down South Africa. But no, Philander came out six for 42, career best figures. Um, and that was something that I was personally really excited to see. I always love it when you see a champion has to, and we've seen this with Dale Stane and Philander, um, they have to take some time off the game for some reason, and then everybody just kind of discredits everything that they achieved before then and goes, no, like, they're, they're looking at the bowlers and going, you know, Shammy, Bumrah, these guys are much better than Vernon Philander. I'm like, have you guys seen Vernon Philander? This is a guy that was the fastest bowler ever to 50 wickets from memory. Yeah. Um, an absolute jet. This is his perfect conditions. Just a bit of swing. He just bowls lineally, continuously, and he gets wickets. And man, he looked just about unstoppable. He just puts those in those areas, and you go, oh, I can't hit that. I yeah. don't know what you want me to do with that ball. I bet you the Australian batsmen were watching him going, uh, <laughs> we don't really want to go to South Africa. And that's something we're going to come back to after this is as we talk about the Australia v England final test, the Sydney test. Are the Australians going to be able to handle South Africa? Quick thoughts. Uh, no. Short and sharp. (laughs) Nice and concise there. Uh, We'll be back with some Ashes talk after this gem from the Hilltop Woods. This is 1955. That was... Sorry, I don't actually have that in front of me. It was 1955 by the Hilltop Woods. We are totally organised here. I... Gotta love the professionalism that goes around. <laughs> Anyways, we're just gonna forget that ever happened and move quickly into the Ashes recap to something far more successful and something that's actually professional because cricket's professional. The Australian cricket team. We're not talking about the English cricket team. No, no, no. <laughs> They're not professional anymore after putting it on that sort of performance. All right, now let's get to it. England made 346 in the first innings. The Australians then went out and batted for just over two days, made 649, declared seven wickets down. And then rolled the English for 180 in what was an abysmal last few days for the English. I actually thought um, about halfway through day two, or just after Cameron Bancroft got out, I thought, you know, we could actually be in a little bit of trouble here. They posted an okay total the first innings. Cameron Bancroft went cheaply to a ball that swung a lot. And I thought, we could actually be in trouble. And I, I just don't think there was a single moment from then to the rest of the match where I was actually impressed by England. 
the rest of the test, they just collapsed in on themselves and basically summarised their whole series. I mean, Crane was arguably a bright light. He didn't bowl magnificently, but like for someone whose test debut was overseas in a series that was already lost, surrounded by 10 people who were sick of Australia, <laughs> I like to put it lightly, Yeah. Um, I think he did a good job for what he could have done. What's incredible is he now actually has the most expensive figures on debut in history. Oh, no. So he bowled, <laughs> he bowled uh, 40-something overs, one for 193, which is now the most expensive figures in history. However, my favourite part of this entire test was we talked last week about Tom Curran and how he managed to, on debut, overstep on a no-ball in which he dismissed a like incredible batsman who was on 99 at the time, about to hit a century, and he got him out only to overstep. This was even better. Like, I honestly thought that was it. And Mason Crane has just got turned to Tom Curran and gone, hold my beer, watch, I can do better. <laughs> because this was special because it was given not out and then he's, like, they've gone for the review and it turns out to be a no ball for a LBW that would have then been out. So the, <laughs> so the only thing that stopped him from being out was his foot being three millimetres on the line instead of behind the line. And you just see the look on his face at lunch after after that decision. And he just looked absolutely dumbstruck. Like, he was utterly astounded that his luck could be this bad. But he's a spinner as well. Like, I get if quicks um, overstep because it's literally just they've a bit of adrenaline. It could even be as simple as that. And they've got a huge run-up. Spinners just, like, waltz in. Like, they can... Nathan Lyon, you see him when he bowls. Like, he has no part of his foot in front of the line at times, <laughs> let alone no part of it behind the line. Like, why would you even let it get that close? That was very interesting because they had a review for a delivery that Joe, Ro- Joe Root bowled a few overs later, and um, his foot, his entire foot was behind the line. And uh, poor Mason Crane can't keep a few centimetres behind. Um, Leading by example. <laughs> there are a few interesting stats to come out of this game. My favourite is that uh, thanks to twin centuries from Sean and Mitchell Mark in their phenomenal innings, the Australian pair, Sean and Mitchell Mark, the two Marsh brothers, have now hit more centuries over this entire Ashes than the entire English lineup. Isn't that just the best news you've ever heard? <laughs> I didn't actually know that until you said that. That, that is amazing because, like, neither of them were actually in the team going into the Ashes. Like, my, Sean Marsh got in for the first test, yep. but neither of them were in the last test series. Sean Marsh only discovered that he needed glasses halfway through the series, <laughs> and he still made more runs in England. <laughs> and then what? Mitch Marsh came in after the third test? M- Mitch Marsh played three tests, hit two centuries, right? So the only English batsmen to hit centuries across the entire series were Cook's double hundred in Melbourne and then Milan and Bairstow hit centuries in Perth, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and so those they hit three centuries. So no English batsman who played all five tests hit as many centuries as Mitchell Marsh, who played three. Mitchell Marsh, you know, formidable batsman oh, Mitchell yeah, Marsh. Yeah, yeah. That's highest score up until that point was 70. Oh, yeah, and great technique. Like, 100% gets his head behind the ball. <laughs> Just, like, amazing batsman, right? I was utterly Star astounded. Star of the future. Yeah. He's, well, he's going to South Africa now. No, and that's yeah. one of the interesting things is with these runs, the Marsh boys will be playing in South Africa. I'd tell you that now. One person who doesn't have the same confidence is Cameron Bancroft. Have we seen the last of him in Australian colours? I don't know. This is one of the few ones because I don't think there's enough people pressing for his spot in the team. I don't think they'll go with Renshaw just because he's still he wasn't making runs at Sheffield Shield level. Like, Do you go with someone like Joe Burns who's 
been in the Australian colours before and has been making runs at Sheffield Shield level? I don't know. I think it's between the two of them, and honestly, I don't know which one I want to pick. I don't know. Do you almost go up to Warner and be like, who do you want to bat with? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, and I really like Sean Marsh at five, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Sean Marsh open and then throwing either Hans Combe or Maxwell back in the side. I, okay. I think that might be what they go with because um, they have a lot of faith in Sean Marsh and rightfully so now. But um, yeah, I think I think we've seen the end of Cameron Bancroft. I like Sean Marsh at five or six. I think he's really... Uh, it's what you need at that five or six. You need someone who, if you're three wickets down early, can grit their way through in innings or if you've made a few runs, will only apply more pressure to the other team. Yeah, he's a gritty player. Um, one thing that Nathan Lyon said at the beginning of the series, uh, which caused a lot of uh, attention at the time, he said that he was out to end careers in reference to Mitchell Johnson, who famously ended, ended so to speak, uh, Graham Swans, uh, Matt Pryor, and who's the third one? Jonathan Trott's Jonathan career, Trott, yeah. careers in the 2013 Ashes. And Nathan Lyon said, you know, we want to do the same. We want to go out and end careers. And, you know, I think you can make a case for it. So I'll be curious to see what you think. The two big names which people are throwing up, um, and one of them more so than the others, are Moen Ali and James Vince. So I think James Vince is just about done anyway. I think he's flopped on a colossal enough level that... Whether or not uh, um, Nathan Lyon had an impact on that, I think he was just about done, James Vince. But I really like the idea of Ali because it was Lyon who held him in his grasp so tightly throughout the entire series. He had him on a leash at all times. Anytime Nathan Lyon was bowling to Mo and Ali, you're going, well, he's going to get out. The question is how long? Yeah. How many runs can he make first? And we saw that in Melbourne where he started swinging for the sake of it. Do you think Nathan Lyon has achieved his objective? Have we seen the last of Mo and Ali? It's a very dark objective <laughs> to put it like that. I think Moen Ali is... I think he's done overseas. You know how we don't play Kawaja as such overseas? Do you believe in that philosophy, though? No. No. But I feel like it's the sort of thing where they'll pick Moen Ali at home because he'll just be the primary spinner because you don't really need spin as much in England. Uh, just swing bowlers. But then he can bat. Like, he's not the greatest batsman, as we found out out here, but he's still going to average, like, your 30s to 40s at least, which is enough for... Well, you could have like someone like Mason Crane instead who's going to average 10 with the bat and probably bowl a bit better spin. But I think over, inter- overseas he has. Because, what, he got him out seven of nine times, which actually broke a record. Um, because the most any one batsman's been dismissed by one bowler in a series is seven. But Nathan Lyon only did it in nine innings because obviously the English didn't bats twice. In, in and, Melbourne. No. So he broke the record for that because... The other people who got 10 were in five and six match series. That's incredible. and It was truly his bunny throughout the series. Nathan Lyon bowled beautifully. Moen Ali in a lot of trouble. Now, the final talking point from this test that we're going to cover is this game had a lot of issues regarding English captain Joe Root, um, primarily being that he was unable to continue at several different points on day five due to a combination of gastro and heat exhaustion. Um, but the heat exhaustion definitely not being a, a helpful factor in his attempts to try and continue. We go off for rain because the pitch becomes dangerous for the players. Should we go off for heat because it becomes dangerous to the players? I think we should. Like, it's ridiculous to put someone... Like, the English... So Australia got seven for 649. The English were in the field for a very long time. Yeah, I think it was 170, 80 overs-ish. Yeah, well, I think it was a few more, more than that, actually, actually. no, it would have hit 200, probably. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is they were out there for two days. Like, and the second day was 42, I believe, in Sydney, which is just 
ridiculously hot to be playing cricket in. You, you're just standing out directly in the sun for hours upon hours. And I don't know. I went. I actually went through a Cricket Victoria like a extreme heat guideline thing. And there's nothing about leaving play. It says like if it gets hotter, you should have more drink breaks as such. But there's nothing about leaving play. Um, I know in under twelves. We left play at 37 degrees. In seniors, it's 40. It should be something for international cricket. It's incredible that they don't at least have a line. Like, I understand that maybe you might have the line a bit hotter than that, but surely there's got to be a point where we go, hang on, this is not okay. Like, especially, you know, global warming and everything, we're going to have times in the future where cricket games are going to be played in games of 50, 55, 60 degree heat. Like, are we going to draw a line eventually? Yeah. They clocked the temperature and the SCG out in the middle at 55 degrees Celsius, which is crazy. And you can imagine for the bowlers that are running kilometre after kilometre in over and over again, that's crippling. Like, yeah. it's, it's incredible that we haven't had more problems as a result of this. So, I mean... I don't know where to draw the line, but I think there should definitely be a conversation about the fact that we need to draw a line. Yeah, and that's the problem with it being the last test of the Ashes, isn't it? No one's really talking about the heat. Everyone's talking about the fact that England got demolished, but like we should really be talking about like the severe health effects, especially because Australia and India are two very hot places. It, yep. You will eventually hit, like you said, 55-degree days in these areas. It's going to be an interesting thing to look out for in the future, But first, in the imminent future, there's going to be some Big Bash talk. That was a terrible joke. Um, (laughs) You're better than that. (laughs) And some talk with the most average BBL players in the league. But first, we're going to play some Lord This Is Her hit song, Greenlight. That was Greenlight by Lord. You're here on Sin 90.7 with Cricket by Dummies. Ha! Nailed it that time. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. So Um, proud. (laughs) It's become an achievement to actually do that. Anyways, (laughs) I just had to point that out. Uh, We are going to move on to the Big Bash League because it's always a big... Big week in the Big Bash League. It's every every week we find something new. Um, I know there are a whole bunch of things we've talked about in the past, but I mean, I reckon we had just about our best week of Big Bash League highlight reel moments in just both the best and worst ways. There's just some of the funniest things I've seen in cricket, some of the just the best cricket I've seen, and some of the absolute worst cricket I've seen. So I'm genuinely excited to talk about all of this. So we'll start off with the women's Big Bash League. I don't know if you saw this, but the so. The last ball, the Renegades are batting, right? Yeah, No, they were fielding, sorry. I'm just glad I got that right. No. So the Renegades are fielding, Sixers batting. Sixers need three off the last ball. Yep. And so all the Renegades fielders have come in. And the Sixer batsman's gone the big heave and just, like, miscued it entirely. And the um, Renegades fielders feel it. And they're going mad because then the Sixers aren't going to be able to come back for the second run. So they only get one. The ball is caught by the wicketkeeper. And everyone's starting to celebrate. They're thinking, yep, we've won by one run. The wicketkeeper throws the ball up in the air. And in the meantime, the two sixes bats and look at each other and go, hey, you know what? I reckon, I reckon we could steal a run now. And they go, yeah, let's steal a run. And then they just run. And it's great. And you see, you see the Renegades fielders turn around and go, wait, what? And then they half-heartedly make an attempt to try and run them out. But by that point, it's too late. And from nowhere, the sixes have stolen a super over out of nothing. And you're just thinking, wow, is that just the biggest... F up that you yeah. could possibly do <laughs> in, in cricket. Like, that's that's incredible. I don't know how they managed that to just blank out of going, why don't we just make sure that the game's over, then we can celebrate. Yeah, there's plenty of time for celebrating after the game, and they just celebrated mid-pitch. Uh, mid it kind of reminded me of the Sean Marsh and Mitchell Marsh. We didn't actually yes. end up talking about that, but uh, Mitchell Marsh is going for his 100, and they're coming back to run for the second, and they're both, you know... 
going mad in the middle, hugging each other. And they're like, no, 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 wait, we actually have to finish the run. <laughs> the ball didn't end up going for four. Ah, I did enjoy that. Um, also on BBL this week, uh, Beth Mooney has continued her incredible season. She's been absolutely unstoppable for the Brisbane Heat, one of the best batsmen going around with Elise Fellaini. Um, she's now hit 236 runs unbeaten in the WBBL this season, which is crazy. Well, she had... And then it took a ridiculous screamer by Vida Krishnamurthy. And it was just, Who's it was, got one of the best names in cricket, by the way. Yes. I'm actually glad I didn't pronounce that too badly. I've done worse <laughs> on the show. But it was just an absolute screamer in the deep to it, right? And it's just like, well, of course it took something like that to get Beth Mooney out. <laughs> 236 runs over a couple of games unbeaten. That's ridiculous. It's an incredible stat. She's been absolutely fantastic and probably been one of the best players in the comp so if far. If not the best. If not the best. Um, a couple other things in the BBL this week. One of my favourites was watching Rashid Khan bat. Now, this is a guy that... <laughs> <laughs> We've already talked about him a little. Yeah. Um, he's going to be up there when we talk about our best imports at the end of the season. He's going to be in close contention. He has had an excellent season with the ball. But it turns out he's not actually that bad of a batsman as well. We saw him a few weeks ago come out and hit a sixth first ball of his innings. And then this happened. And just put it lightly, um, he gets a bouncer first up in the game a few days ago. And he decides he's going to go for kind of a ramp shot. Except he's not really quite balanced. So instead just ends up falling over and the ball just goes over his head. Yeah, but he misses the ball by a mile as well. The bat's nowhere near the ball and he just rolls off the pitch and you can see Josh Butler's just standing there like uh? <laughs> do, do not co- comprehend that no it was he's so much fun to watch so much energy out in the middle I please watch this video of like all the videos we do recommend watching it's just like watching Rashid Khan just fall over it, it was a fantastic over as well because it, it basically sums up Rashid Khan in that in the one over he attempted two ramps that he missed the ball completely he almost ran um, the batsman out at the other end Jake Lehman and then he also hit two sixes <laughs> that basically sums up Rashid Khan's entire cricketing career in one over but the best thing is the second six was enormous like it was a <laughs> properly big hit on the last ball of the innings he's just looking at that going like well it, something doesn't add up entirely. You can't just like fall over two of the balls and then just whack it for six, ten rows back. Oh, it was an incredible shot. Um, I told you about the game, I think it was two nights ago, between the Hurricanes and the Thunder. Sixes. Um, what? Hurricanes and the Sixes. Hurricanes and the Sixes, was it? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Hurricanes and the Sixes, my bad. Um, in which the Sixes needed 18 to win off the final three balls. Now, I had watched this with my dad. My dad and I like to joke around going, oh, you know, they have no chance. They're never going to get there. And, you know, we thought, nah, 18 off three balls. Not, they're not going to get that. Then then Billings hit a six. And I went, oh, you know, maybe. They might have a chance now. Then Billings hit another six. I went, oh, no. Oh, no, they might actually win this. The final ball comes in. Tymel Mills is just screwed up this over on a colossal level, thinking they can't actually win this, can they? Surely not. Surely not. 18 to enough three balls, and he misses it by a mile. But it was entertaining for a brief period where I thought they might actually pull this off. Well, it's weird, because if you've got three balls left, right, and they need to score 18, you just attempt three Yorkers. One of them will stick. Instead, what Tymel Mills did was bowl three, like, half-trackers. Slower balls. They yeah. just got smacked. And the last one was in the slot as well. Uh, Billings will be kicking himself that he didn't hit that for six. It should have gone for six. That was the great thing about it. And if he had, oh, my goodness gracious me, Tymel Mills. That would have been incredible. We talked about the Renegades blowing it, but, but that would have been another level higher. Um, let's talk about more funny things in the world of Big Bash this week. Now, I know this was one of your favourites. The moment when Yasir Shah threw the ball into Brendan McCullum's head. <laughs> so, the captain is a 
there's a hierarchy in cricket. There's the captain and there's the 10 other players on the field. And what you don't do is annoy the captain, right? Yeah. Obviously, that kind of goes without saying. So what you shouldn't do is when you field the ball, chuck it to your captain when he isn't looking at you and hit him in the back of the head, right? That's what you shouldn't you do. You would think that that's high on the priorities list, but apparently not for Yusuf Shah. You should, his face is brilliant, though. So he fields <laughs> the ball, McCullum's a little bit in front of him, but not looking at him whatsoever. And Yusuf Shah... Yasir Yash- Shah, sorry, throws it and McCullum isn't even looking, just hits him square in the back of the head and McCullum just like crouches over a little bit, <laughs> goes into like, not really the feet. We're under fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Take cover. <laughs> enemies coming from the rear. No, it's, it was so good. And then Yasir Shah's face is just like, oops, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. And they actually had um, Brendan McCullum on the... Um, what do you call it when he's talking with the commentators? Uh, he was mic'd up. He was mic'd up. And he was just talking about that. It's just like, oh, well, that's not what you expect. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brendan McCullum's a class act, though. And he, he took it very well. It was just quite a funny moment. Um, the reactions from both of them were yeah. priceless. He's a fantastic player and, you know, I really enjoyed that. Um, he's featured in the Channel 10 commentary team, which I've been enjoying. Him, he's been one of the entertaining members along with Graham Swan, Kevin Peterson. Um, but I'll tell you one thing I haven't been enjoying with this Channel 10 commentary team, and that is the relentless flogging of Channel 10 TV shows. It's crazy. I mean, we know that I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here is just like one of their favourite things to flog. And they talk about it all the time. But the one that's really starting to bother me is just the relentless pandering to neighbours. Like, nobody (laughs) actually watches neighbours. We don't care. Yeah. And... There was an interview in like the halftime show for one of the games where they're interviewing one of the mem- uh, cast members of Neighbours in the middle of a cricket match. I was thinking, why? Why, why? why are we doing this? What a waste of time. Yeah, the only relationship you should have with Neighbours in cricket is when you hit a six over the fence. And you have to go fetch a ball. Yeah, and yeah. you have to go be nice to them. No, the Channel 10 commentary team also last night had a bit of a blunder. So you know how in between the overs they normally go to like an ad break, right? And so like... They go off camera for a bit so they can do whatever they want. Well, what Channel 10 did is they didn't actually go to an ad break and they just had a like a film shot of like the commentary box of the three of them there. So Mark Howard's literally got in a, a box of like KFC popcorn chicken <laughs> and he's just got it there and he's like offering it to a few of them. They have no idea they're on camera, right? Graham Swan grabs his bit of um, popcorn chicken, throws it up in the air and catches it with his mouth and they're all just completely like off camera and then you can see Mark Howard's just like, okay, guys, like three, two, one and they're back on like, and they quickly like hide everything away but they have no idea that they've been on for the last 10 seconds see you say that I, I'm almost thinking that this is just the most elaborate marketing scheme anyone's ever thought of KFC's thought how can we get people to genuinely believe that these guys eat KFC popcorn chicken we thought I know we'll film them when everyone thinks that no one's watching but turns out we actually planned it the whole time yeah but it's channel 10 so really <laughs> more true. than likely it's a stuff up no. yeah no that, not that much thought goes into any of Channel 10's program. It was absolutely brilliant to watch those. Just like, and they quickly hide everything away, <laughs> not realizing that they're already busted anyway. Yeah, oh, well. I've been really enjoying the BBL, um, and we're going to be back with some more BBL chat. Our most average eleven after a PNAU song. This is Chameleon. That was Chameleon by P. Now you're here on Sin 90.7 with Cricket by Dummies, and we're just going to wrap up the show. Well, slightly, we still got to get through our most average BBL team because, like we said, it's far too mainstream to do the best, and it's probably a bit mean to do the worst. Although you said you'd get some fun out of that, <laughs> I think it'd be great fun. You're a bit more cruel than me. It's kind of lucky though that we don't have any of these players listening. 
Because <laughs> imagine if we knew that, say, like Adam Voges was listening to us as we put him in our most average side. Well, we have he we would... have interviewed Rob Quiney in the past, and I tell you, he didn't make the cut for our most average eleven. <laughs> <laughs> he was considered not good enough. So we love you, Rob. We love you, Rob. You're a class bat, but unfortunately, you're just not average enough. <laughs> Anyways, so no, essentially what we did is we went through all the teams and we put number ones and twos together, so the openers together, put threes and fours together, five, six, seven, eight, and then nine to 11 uh, batting position-wise together. And we ranked them top to bottom and then you'd take the middle numbers, essentially. So as you can imagine, we spent a lot of unnecessary time calculating our entire ranking of basically the entire VVL. And I'm telling you, this was a complete waste of time. Not only, do, <laughs> not only do I love this 11, but this was a complete waste of time. So let's go through it. Our most average BBL 11. Opening the batting. Now, this is it. I love this combination because it's the definition of average of these two. Darcy Short, the famous inconsistent one. He, he hits 97 one week, then a duck the next week. That's just his, his classic specialty. And then at the other end, Marcus Harris, who's just he's just a solid B minus Marcus Harris. Like he's just you look at him and you go, oh yeah, he's a decent player. Averages 25 on 30. Gets gets a good knock every now and again. Makes a few fives. He's, <laughs> he's decent. He's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, more than likely he's like your 30 off 22. Yeah, and just gets and then out gets there. out. Yeah, he gets there every innings and yeah. you know, gets you off to an okay start, but nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> and I think that's why they partner him with Finch because Finch is Finch is the short, go big or go home type, whereas Marcus Harris is that. Oh yeah, I'll just. I'll just get a casual 30 or 20 balls and then get myself out playing a stupid shot to a spinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, as soon as it looks like I'm about to start playing well, I'm out. <laughs> Anyways, at three and four, we've got Matthew Wade and Colin Ingram, which is actually quite a good three and four when you think about it. But at three and four, you have your best batsman in the league. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one because in, in some ways, these two are the best, yet in some ways, they're also the worst. Um, because if you look at Wade and Ingram, I mean, both of these guys have represented their countries in international levels for T20s. Um, Wade has been one of the premier wicket keepers in Australia for a long time. Ingram's a, a solid hitter. And yet, neither of them ever really capitalise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had their opportunities. <laughs> these two are just the biggest teasers ever. Every week, you're like, man, these guys, oh, it's, oh, it's about time that Colin Ingram went big, right? Right, right. Oh, no, he missed out again. I, I just feel like that's the definition of these two, and that's why they're so firmly average. Exactly. At five and six, we've got Adam Voges, who's also representing the country, not at T20, but for a long time. And then at number six, we've got Ben Cutting. Your classic, I'm either going to get six off six, I'm going to get 46 off 20 like you did last week. But he has those 46 off 20s like once every six innings, probably. Uh, but then he also bowls and bowls well once every six innings as well. Yep. So statistically, between his batting and his bowling, he contributes to the team once every three innings, which in my book, Puts him in a solid average, average. level. <laughs> yeah. And then Adam Voges, I love because he's just, he's one of my favorite captains in the league because he's just not very good. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not often that you look at a team and look at the captain and go, if I was going to drop one of these players, he's probably the worst of them. And that's what I like about Adam Voges. He's arguably the worst player in the Scorchers lineup, and yet he's also the captain and the first picked every week because of that. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting spot to be in, isn't it? Because they don't really have another person who could captain. Uh, arguably Ashton Maybe Turner. Maybe Miss Johnson? Yeah. yeah but, I don't know. Nah. Anyways, he finds himself firm. Like, he's arguably the most average player of all these oh, I think players. I think, uh, I think Adam Voges could be the most average player of all time. <laughs> like, he, he's very much up there. We talked about Callum Ferguson last week, but Adam Voges is very much up there for the most average player of all time. 
at 7 and 8, we have got Michael Neeser and Jai Richardson. Jai Richardson totally didn't just get picked for Australia. <laughs> so, <laughs> we may have made a little bit of a mistake here. Look, here's the thing. I think we all agree that Jai Richardson is massively overrated in, in ODI form, right? Yeah. Like, he's a good T20 bowler, but I'd still, like, he's a kid. I'd still only classify him as average. He's yep. on the way up, and, you know, one day he'll be really good, but right now he's still only average. The other day, I think he had figures of none for 55 off his four overs. Yeah, and now he's playing for Australia. Someone's not right there. I'm pretty sure I could do better than none for 55. It'd be I none for really... 65, because the <laughs> highest score wins, right? That's I the game you... Jai Richardson's <laughs> playing at the moment. I think you totally understand bowling. And then Michael Neeson is a great one because he's just he is your classic oh you know I'm pretty good at everything type like he's he's never really been a good enough bowler to demand selection as a quick <laughs> but he's also never been a good enough batsman to demand selection in that regard so he's just like they're looking for players to fill in the squad and they're going oh yeah he can kind of do both he can give us a bit of everything yeah you know he's, he's your definition of an all-rounder it's like they used to say in football that your fullbacks were either not good enough to be wingers or not good enough to be centre backs. Yeah. And this is Michael Neeser in a nutshell. He's not good enough to be a bowler and he's not good enough to be a batsman, but he's a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Utility man, definitely. At nine, ten, and eleven, we've got Bill Stanlake, uh, tall. <laughs> I'll say that yeah. he's two hundred and three centimeters. I saw him pick up a ball from his ankle yesterday, like after a delivery. I'm just like, huh? I can't even reach my toes, and I'm not even like near that tall. Uh, Farwood Ahmed and Michael Beer. I actually think this is the strongest part of our team. Um, when I look back at it, because uh, Stan like got picked in the Australian T20 side last year, and rightfully so, he had a fantastic campaign last season. He's Pretty decent bowler. Farwad Ahmed's one of the premier attacking spinners going around, and Michael Beer is probably the best defensive spinner going around. But there was such a high standard in the spinning and quicks that these guys are pretty good. Yeah. Like, I actually think this is a pretty good lineup. So, you know, whilst our batting order is very, very average, I think we might have overachieved a little bit with the bowling order and come up with a slightly above average bowling attack. Does that mean then so we should make another team which is just the slightly below average team? <laughs> <laughs> so now that we finish this team we just take the next 11 down and go these guys are the team that are quite good enough to be in the average side so they're slightly below average 11. Yes. And I think we decided with this average 11, by the way, that we think it's actually the sixth best team in the league. There's actually two teams worse than it. Yeah, so it's really interesting when you look at the stats. So we have statistically, this team, 11 average players, right? And every player got broken down into above average, average, or below average. And when you look at the teams, it's actually quite interesting to see which ones are the best and worst on paper. Because you would have thought, you know, Scorchers, Strikers, they're the top two teams at the moment. They'd be top. They're actually both very firmly in the middle. They're, I believe, I think, ranked fourth and fifth for the teams um, in this ranking system. But the actual top team on paper, according to our rankings, is the winless stars. The team that has won zero games for the season is, according to us, the best team on paper. Logic. Yeah. Well, it's an... Like, you can just put it down to the fact that most of the Stars team is quite old and they're not actually playing for each other, whereas those other teams are. But, yeah, it's interesting that when you rank them, they should be doing a lot better than they actually are. Yeah, definitely. It's nice for us to actually do something that has some, like, <laughs> value somewhere. <laughs> uh, the other top teams, the Heat and Renegades, no surprises there. And interestingly, the bottom three teams are actually the teams that are ranked 5th, 6th, and 7th on the Big Bash ladder right now. And the three teams that I would back our team to beat... 
the Hurricanes, the Sixers, and the Thunder. I reckon our most average 11 will be better than those sides. So, so I reckon we we'd be fifth. sixth out of nine because we're adding oh, a team to the competition. Yes, true. So we'd be the sixth best team. Out yeah, of nine. I'll take that. It's pretty decent. Team. It shows the influence that superstars can have on your team. Very much so. And to wrap up our show this week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Ashes. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but you know, this is the Ashes. This is the biggest moment in cricket every two years. So we've got to give it its due diligence. And with that... We shall conclude this week with one of our famous lists. Are you excited, Lachlan Russ? I am very excited for this list of yours, Alex. So this is going to be a short list, nice and quick to get us out. Um, but this list will be things more successful than England's Ashes campaign. Now, you got a spoiler for this <laughs> earlier on at the beginning of the show. but Our radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Cricket by Dummies might be on the list. We'll find out later. Okay, yeah. so number one, things more successful than England's Ashes campaign. Alex Dolan's cricket career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he got a baggy green. Come he got a, That's my point, you know? That's more successful than this English campaign. They got a draw. <laughs> he got a baggy green, they got a draw. That's about the... I reckon it's an interesting one. We'll throw it in there. Right. You ready for the next option? Yeah. Taylor Swift's new album. Oh, well... Definitely more successful. Definitely yes. more successful. Not good, but definitely more successful. Definitely more yeah. successful, yes. That was a pretty easy one, that one. Ready for the option three? Yeah, that has quite the reputation, doesn't it? Yeah. Triple bogey. A triple bogey is more successful than England's Ashes campaign. Because you know what's worse than a triple bogey? A quadruple bogey. True story, ladies and gentlemen. When's the last time you played golf? <laughs> is there like a is there a term for a quadruple bogey? I think it's just I don't know. I think you stay out of that territory generally. Well, generally, I'm not good enough at golf to to get myself above that territory. So I'm firmly in the you know triple bogey England's Ashes campaign territory. Yeah, that's my ranking. And the final one on the list, you'll never see this coming. Cricket by Dummies. <laughs> Cricket by Dummies has had a more successful campaign than England's Ashes campaign. I said it here. You heard it. We're better at radio than they are at cricket. That's what I'm Can saying. Can I add something else to the list? What? Number five, that list. <laughs> <laughs> more that, successful joke. Th- that substandard list was more <laughs> successful than the England's tour of Australia. And I think that's honestly the point of this list is not not going that England uh, that any of these things are particularly good, but that England's Ashes campaign was that bad. <laughs> and that's the note we're going to go out on this week, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, it's been another great week here for us. We'll be back next week with all the more BBL stuff, um, whatever else is going in the world. ODIs. Oh yeah. Get keen for that. Yeah, it's going to be a similarly big week. Probably not. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the ashes is over. <laughs> We're going to wind down the show. <laughs> Anyways, no, thanks for listening, everyone. We're going to be on later from 9 till 9.30 with Wacky World of Sports, which is just... Uh, it's just a lot of stuff happening that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it's a bit of fun. Uh, listen in then if you want. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. My name's Alex Henry. My name's Chuck. Goodbye. Goodbye.